Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello. The A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan, A to Z Sports Writer. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If that sounds like something you want to listen to regularly, go over to uh, the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify, and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Because if you do subscribe... You won't miss our shows when we drop them on Mondays. And speaking of Mondays, it is one right now. And we are live on YouTube. So go to A to Z Sports Nashville on YouTube and subscribe there. Because if you do that, you can actually join in this show. You can be a part of this show. A whole bunch of people do it every single week. They comment. We talk. uh, We read their comments. Talk right back. It's really fun interaction. And you can very literally be a part of this show. So YouTube, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share the show, all of the stuff. Y'all know what to do. Uh, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at uh, A to Z Sports, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports.com for the stuff that Zach writes on the old internet. Woo! Zach. When I tell you that my relief was just an unbelievable when Tennessee, when that clock ran down to zero and Tennessee had the lead over Duke, just the emotions that washed over me of finally, we don't have to talk about Tennessee blowing it in the second round of the tournament. We don't have to talk about a first round loss. We don't have to say, oh, well, Rick, Rick didn't meet our expectations. and we, we, <laughs> we don't have to do any of that. What a week. And thank you to, to Rick Barnes. Oh, thank you. Uh, did you watch these games, Zach? I mean, you're on this show, I would say. Hopefully you did. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's got to be instantly. It's one of the most satisfying uh Tennessee wins in any sport I think of all time just beating Duke in the tournament nobody really giving Tennessee much of a chance I mean you had you had Seth Davis and and Clark Kellogg and those guys picking Louisiana to beat Tennessee in the first round uh, because they didn't have the Kai Ziegler because of some of their up and down uh you know games throughout the year so for them to beat Duke and beat them the way they did where it seemingly pissed off every national media member from Jay Billis who played at Duke, by the way, uh, to Doug Gottfried and Pat Ford, a a favorite of Tennessee fans. The fact that it made them so mad because of Tennessee's physical playing style and the way that, that, which is crazy because Duke still got plenty of calls in that game. I mean, Roach fouled out and they changed it so he could keep playing. I mean, it was, it was blatant, but that to me made it one of the most satisfying wins ever for Tennessee. 
It was so good. Uh, the I think the only thing is that Kay was not on the sidelines. I would have loved that. Um, that that was the one element where I was like, man, I wish that that could have been. You know, you just stick it to him and his smarmy. Just ugh. You know, especially after last year, the way that he went out, where he made every team in the ACC bow down to him and give him a a goodbye hug. Just well, ugh. you and you and C did at least ruin his uh, last home game and his last game ever last season. That's so true. Kind of, yeah, he and, did and get God, you know that. Yeah, God bless them for that. Uh, <laughs> but John Shire was coaching them first year and. Yeah, boy, he he looked like a first year coach out there, mm-hmm. but uh, the just the uh, the surprise of it. Although it's was it really that surprising because Tennessee has really brought it in big games like that. It kind of made a lot of sense that this team has been so crazily up and down, losing to completely mediocre teams, and then beating Texas and Kansas and Alabama and all of these teams. Um, so maybe it was right on par. Uh, it, I mean, but- you did you 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 and Austin Stanley both said you know in in text when we were talking about the game a couple days before or a day or two before that you know Tennessee matches up decent with Duke. I think it's the old battered vol syndrome where we just kind of assume that things were going to go south and that Duke was going to win that game. Well, we're going to talk in just one second uh, about ig- exactly how that game went because. What ended up coming out of it was not just a win for Tennessee, but one of the funnest nights on Twitter as a Tennessee fan that I've I've had in quite a while because Duke fans and the national media in general had an absolute meltdown over the way that Tennessee played that basketball game. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about all that. Uh, but first, I have to tell you about our first amazing sponsor. That is the great Omaha steaks uh and i have to find the actual read here that was great i didn't have it right in front of me spring is in the air and that can only mean one thing spring grilling the steak experts at omaha steaks have made it easy to spring into something delicious with their semi-annual sale it starts wednesday february 22nd so it's already it uh, has been going for a minute here um and it is 50 percent off site why grab all your favorites like perfectly aged tender steaks ocean fresh seafood juicy burgers air chilled chicken and decadent desserts plus when you go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code vols that is v-o-l-s at checkout you will get an additional 30 dollars off your order it's the perfect way to get fired up and spring into something special don't wait go to omahasteaks.com use code vols at checkout and take advantage of this deal omaha steaks is ready to ship your order right away and you're uh going to want to hurry because 50 percent off site wide is only happening for a limited time don't miss your chance to save is at omahasteaks.com Use code VALS at checkout and get an additional $30 off when you shop their semi-annual sale today. Minimum order may be required. That is Omaha Steaks. Promo code VALS. B-O-L-S. And good Lord, if it would just get warm again, we're going through like second winter here. Uh, super annoying. It's like the high is like 38 today. Kill me. Um, but when it does warm up, I think by the end of this week, Omaha Steaks. They're for, your, <laughs> they're for all of your spring grilling needs. Thanks to them uh, for supporting the show. The, this was really just a true joy. Obviously, myself, I have um, put together a pretty nice reputation of being a troll uh, to other fan bases, specifically Alabama. That's the one that I've truly prided myself in is trolling Alabama fans over the last year, especially since Tennessee beat them in football, and they literally can't say anything to Tennessee fans because they didn't even beat Tennessee in basketball either. <laughs> so 
you know, that, that's been a good time. But Duke fans, wow. They were emotional. They were little baby, soft, little pillowy, little babies, frankly. I mean, that just was kind of sad. I Like, this program is is proud. It has won, I don't, what, six national titles or whatever Kay did. And they were just weeping like little children. Uh, it, well, I get, was it surprising? I don't know, but it was fun. That's all I know. Yeah, I wasn't surprised about Duke, uh, the Duke fans acting that way. I mean, that's kind of that fan base, a little bit of entitlement, it, it seems like, that goes along with, with that that crowd. There aren't many fan bases in college sports that I single out as being just totally annoying. I know we've talked about a few of them on here because of the SEC in Tennessee, like Kentucky fans, Kentucky basketball fans, well, and football fans lately. Georgia fans are at the top of the list after this past year. Ooh. The Duke fans are definitely right there with the Georgia fans. Uh, they, yeah, they, uh, they think they deserve everything. It seems like, and they just cannot believe that a Tennessee team without its starting point guard came out there and just out physicaled them and totally, almost like football in a way where they dictated the way the game was played. Obviously, a different style than what Josh Heupel does. It's not like the the high, you know, high paced offense where they're scoring a lot of points. They're just exerting their will on teams and it's it was finally enjoyable to watch them do that to duke and to to play the defense the way they did we've complained about the offensive style a little bit this season uh they don't score a lot of points and that's the way you know it's just kind of rick barnes style but that like i said that game was satisfying it was one of the more fun games I've, i've i've watched this season from tennessee you know they were able to hold on to that lead late in the game where it felt like, okay, when does that scoring drought come? When does it come where they don't score for, for five minutes and Duke gets back into this game and then Tennessee misses free throws down the down the stretch and, and Duke advances to the Sweet 16? And when that never came, it was, okay, you know, Purdue's out of this thing. Kansas is out of this thing. Arizona's out of this thing. Anything can happen at this point. And I think – I think Tennessee fans should go through the rest of this tournament with no expectations. Just enjoy the ride. Because you don't have Zakai. You've made it to the Sweet 16 in a year where a lot of really good teams didn't make it that far. Whatever happens, happens from here. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy the ride. Absolutely. So obviously in this game, if you didn't watch, I'm going to assume everybody that's watching this show did watch that game or at least saw the highlights. Tennessee went out from the jump. And the correct word is bullied Duke. And and I think this was extremely intentional. At least it looked like it. They sent Euros out there, and Euros did mostly nothing in that game. <laughs> uh, and it's at least on on offense. He didn't. I don't think he scored a point. I don't uh, think so. Maybe had three rebounds, but he went out there and literally punched dudes in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was they they sent him out there to be an enforcer. I mean, I I don't know how many people who watch the show watch hockey, but there's sort of a a guy on some hockey teams, on a lot of hockey teams, that he's, they sort of call him like a goon. He's an enforcer. They just send him out there to hit people, to be a little, you know, vigilante and, and lay some hits on folks. And that's what they did with Eurosh. It's what they've done with Eurosh a pretty decent amount in his time at Tennessee. He's just huge. And he loves to get, get in the mud with guys and, and just kind of stir it up. And he did such a great job. And he's, like I, I even had some pushback after that game because I, I said Rick Barnes did an excellent coaching job in this game, and I've been, I've been really critical of Barnes. People who watch the show at Link know that, but he did an excellent coaching job in this game because of elements 
like that. He said, these kids across from us at Duke are all freshmen. They're little skinny boys. And we're going to go out there. We're going to push them around. And they went, they did that. And, and that's, that's great. Cause the, every, every part of that strategy, the scouting that Rick and his crew did worked on every level. I mean, I, I don't know that that game could have gone a whole lot better, frankly, because you made the shots you needed to make. You played the defense you needed to play. You intimidated them. You had them shaking in their boots. I mean, it, it was to the point. Like, I know so many Duke fans were like, we we barely even got to the line. We only shot three free throws or whatever it was. It was some small amount. Well, they didn't shoot any free throws because they never drove the ball because they got scared because all they were doing was taking threes or mid-range shots or throwing up floaters because they were scared to actually go at the rack. And so, like, there was no, no, uh, I, I guess, what what would the word be? Disparity in in fouls here, where just oh, Duke was getting called for all the fouls, and Tennessee wasn't getting called for anything. And <laughs> that that really wasn't the case. Duke didn't try to go a- after Tennessee came out and sort of punched them in the mouth like that. They didn't try to go at the rack, and so I I was just very very impressed. Will that strategy work in every single game going forward? Eh, maybe, but in that particular one, I mean, it was it was magic. It was the perfect call. What do you think about, so I'm sure you've seen the Jay Billis comments about he's talked to these referees outside of, of that game and can't believe, nobody can believe that Tennessee got away with what they got away with playing that physically. He referred to it as a hockey game type atmosphere. I mean, it's very apparent now that Tennessee has this reputation. And it's funny because this, I mean, they had a reputation of being a tough defensive team all season, but the physicality part of it didn't really come in until this Duke game. And it's probably because they were more physical because of what, like you said, kind of send the message. You got some freshmen you're going up against, you know, don't make it easy on them type deal. But moving forward in the tournament, does Tennessee get to play another game like that? Or is the next game, because this is in people's heads, you heard the FAU coach last night say, you know, he's going to go study up on Australian rugby rules uh, to prepare for Tennessee. It's kind of tongue in cheek remark. But now that Tennessee has this reputation, I mean, referees are human. Is that in their head? They go play FAU in the Sweet 16. It's a tighter game. They're a little quicker to blow the whistle. Do you think that's a something that, that's going to impact Tennessee? I think it's absolutely possible. And that guy saying that in that post game is probably a smart move because he wants to plant mm-hmm. those seeds. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as as he should. I'm sure that those media members do too. They don't want to see that rewarded. Obviously, Billis went to Duke and played basketball for Duke, so he probably has some motivations there. <laughs> you know, and he's a lawyer by trade, so he knows how to twist uh, things into into his favor. Yeah, uh, uh, but as as far as that goes, I think it's definitely possible. I do kind of wonder if. If actually with that in mind, getting a guy like a Pat Adams would actually be a good thing. And hear me out here. Okay, yeah, uh, I, I want to hear this out. <laughs> I want to hear you. Everybody hates Pat Adams. And look, he's not good at a baseline. No. But he's also not affected by things like that. He basically, he's resentful. If you try to tell Pat Adams what to do, he's going to go out there and do the exact opposite. So That's if people true. are going and begging him to call a close game, he's probably going to go out there and, and let it fly. I... I've just seen more often than not, and I think this is why the strategy has worked so well for Tennessee this season uh, with the hard-nosed defense, is that this year in college basketball, and I think it's been a concerted effort, um, they're trying not to call as many fouls. They're trying not to have these games that last 15 years and have 
30,000 foul calls where the games just drag on and they're borderline unwatchable. I think they've tried to mitigate that some. There are certainly refs that still do that because some of these games in this tournament that that happened, although more often than not, it was the the looser style of play where they're not calling a ton of little ticky tack touch fouls, all of this garbage. Um, and so I think it's absolutely possible that that happens. And you know that this media push and the push from that coach is all that's all they're trying to do is trying to influence that situation. And so that that game will be called tight. But it's it's going to just kind of be a we'll have to see now in a second. We're obviously going to talk about that FAU matchup because it'll happen before we do this show again. Uh, it's going to be thir- Thursday, like nine o'clock. The late, late game again. Yeah, Ugh, the the night game in Madison Square Garden. That's kind of fun that it's in New York. But, yeah. Oh yeah. And and uh, Zakai is going to be there, and that's great. But um, just as as far as that goes, I don't blame them for that. But it was man, it it was just comical to see them have this meltdown. And when you, I mean, I watched the game twice. I watched it live and then I watched it a second time. The next day they re-aired it on CBS sports. And I just, what were y'all watching? I genuinely, genuinely didn't see it. I'll I'll call it out even like, um, the box out. What'd you think about the box out euros early in the game where he, the pretty aggressive box out where Filipowski looked like he flopped a bit. It was definitely a flop. Like I could see them calling the foul. It's not, Yeah, but yeah, they like, called it. I mean, they called it. So, like I said, I'll, I'll I'll admit it. Like uh, last year in the Arizona game, the Arizona game in Thompson Bowling Arena, those refs worked in Tennessee's favor in that game. They did. Mm-hmm. It was a raucous, crazy environment, and and they were bearing down on Arizona. And I think the refs were a little influenced by that and called the game in Tennessee's favor. It happens. Yeah. This game, I I really see it. I think they saw. From, from both guys, I think they, they saw that Tennessee wanted to bully Duke early, but then I think they saw that Duke was ready to flop, to flop around. And they just sort of took both sides of that and went, eh, we're just going to call it how it is. I, I think that's all that really happened because I walked away from that game outside of the one moment. I, I'll say this, the one moment of switching the foul from Roach. Uh, just agree. I mean, that, that person should be disqualified from refereeing in the remainder of the tournament. Yeah, that was that, bad. It, it was one of the most corrupt things I've ever seen happen. In- I mean, the hand was on the ball from the other player, and Roach is the one reaching around and grabbing the the, yeah. the Tennessee players. is obvious. I mean, yeah. you want to call no foul there? Like, that's fine if you want to call the no foul. I think it was a foul. But that th- those plays happen, and the call isn't made in every single college basketball game. It's kind of like holding in football. Like, you could call reach-ins and, and stuff like that, Quite a bit, but changing it to a guy who did not commit a foul to keep him in the game and out of foul trouble, that was a bit much. I was beside myself. I, I just, you know, you can call in the favor of one team or another, but to do that just because they're begging you to keep their player in the game because it would have been his fifth foul is unconscionable. And and like yeah. I said, corrupt. I mean, it's corrupt. That's the correct word. It's corrupt. <laughs> they were doing that to keep that kid in that game. But outside of that single moment, I honestly did not think those refs called a terrible game. Now, that moment was ridiculous, and it left Duke's best player on the floor. And ultimately, thankfully, that didn't make a difference. He really didn't play very well for the rest of the game. But he could have, and then that would have been completely egregious and ridiculous, even more than it already was. Uh, but but with that said, I there's there were some good points here in the comments 
I, I liked what Ben says here. He says, I'd be worried and, and worried specifically about what we're talking about. Maybe the, the game will be called close. He said, except for the fact that Barnes is the most respected coach left in the field apart from Izzo. And on, on that point, that's absolutely true. He's a senior guy. He's going to be coaching against uh, a young a young dude, kind of an upstart coach. He's been there a minute at FAU, but still a young guy. But Izzo is the same exact way. The reason that they are winning is because Michigan State is playing hard-nosed basketball. Mm-hmm. So they're doing the same exact stuff. They didn't beat such a sensational team. They beat TCU. And by the way, that game was awesome. It's a really great basketball game. Um, or not, not TCU. Uh, Gonzaga played TCU. It was... Uh, who who they beat the uh, Marquette? They, they beat, beat Marquette. Marquette. Yeah, I mean that was. Yeah, sorry, I, I was I was thinking the the last game of the night was Gonzaga TCU, but they well, beat Marquette all runs together at this point. Yeah, yeah, was, I've watched so much basketball, um, but that that's why they're they're winning. It's a great strategy in March. It's why Izzo has made freaking however many Final Fours he has, and all the all the things that he's done in the tournaments absolutely crazy. Um, and, and I mean this this really is the bottom line from Chill Mode here. He just says Duke was soft. <laughs> they were, yeah. That was it. That's like, you know, Ben Hall mentions that the Euros foul was a hard foul, but it wasn't dirty. I think that's a great way to put it. It's just hard, just playing hard. I mean, that's all it was. Nothing more than that. It wasn't dirty. It was just playing the game the way it used to be played. And Duke looked kind of soft in the way they responded to it. And I think that might be, you kind of alluded to the flopping and stuff. That might be why the referees let it go a little bit because they don't want flopping in the game at all. It's, it's, rampant in the NBA at times. They don't want it in the college game. They don't want it at any level of basketball. And if you start giving a few of those borderline calls out, I mean, Duke's just going to flop, or any team would really, is going to flop more trying to get those calls. So, yeah, I, I do think that probably plays uh, plays a role in the way they called the game. I think it does. But honestly, we'll we'll just have to see. Let's get to talking about that FAU game because Tennessee, here's the bottom line. This is the easiest path to the final four that could almost ever happen for you. And I don't know how you could argue. You don't have to play a one. You don't have to play a two. You could possibly play a three, but that three just barely squeaked by Kentucky in this last game. Well, barely. They, they played really well and they got shot makers and stuff. Kansas State does, but still it's not, they're not a powerhouse in that three spot and it might not ever get, any easier than this but we're going to talk about that in just one second at first i gotta tell you about our friends at super book sports if i can get uh, the branding up here on the screen make 2023 the year you beat vegas super book sports gives you the chance every week to go head to head with the best odds makers in las vegas no computer algorithms no guys across the pond setting lines for american sports just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets that you will find anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com. For terms and conditions, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. And on the note of Superbook Sports, Tennessee is, when I checked it this morning on Superbook, a five-and-a-half point favored over FAU. FAU is the ninth seed, and uh, they are underseeded. That's the absolute truth. I mean, if generally speaking, if Tennessee's playing a nine seed, they're probably going to be a bigger favorite than five and a half points. But FAU, what, 30, 33 and three or something like that at this point? They've really had an excellent season. Obviously, they won their league. They've, uh, 
done done really well under this coach. And he's like the type of coach who probably after this year making a sweet 16 or even in the lead eight, if he's able to pull off this win against Tennessee, I mean, he's one of those guys, he's going to get, get himself a big time job. And so that, that is who you're facing it is a real, a pretty serious mid-major team. Uh, with that being said, Tennessee should win this basketball game. Let's not beat around the bush. The, again, to, to what I said before that ad read, it will not get easier than this for Tennessee in any tournament. I mean, the only way that it possibly could is if you have some freak year where a 15 seed makes it to an elite eight and that's who you end up facing or something like, and and that's how rare is that Princeton, obviously in the sweet 16, they beat the heck out of Missouri. That was an impressive game, but um, you know, sometimes freak things like that happen, but this is what you're in right now is a freak thing. You were in the bracket where this, the 16 seed upset the one. That's a miracle, a literal miracle. It has happened twice in the entire history of the NCAA basketball tournament. I mean, you, you are benefiting from one of the wildest situations in the history of this tournament. That's the situation that Tennessee is in. And like, don't beat around the bush there. Tennessee is more physical, has more depth, has more players, more talent in general. They, they have more talent and more depth and more players and more height and length and better defense, even without Sakai Ziegler, than every team left in, in their uh, their region before the Final Four. Every single one. I mean, you can, you can fight me on that. I think it's probably close with Kansas State, but I don't think it's all that debatable with the other ones. So, well, I don't want to put pressure on Tennessee. That's not why I say this. I say it to say, this is really exciting. Like, what an opportunity. Let's go out there and take this thing by the horns. What does your gut tell you about this game? Because looking at FAU, looking at their, I mean, I, it's not a team that I kept up with a lot during the season. So looking at who they played, you know, 33 and three, ranked what, 25th in the nation, lost to Ole Miss very early in the season, but beat Florida. Then the rest of their schedule, I don't think they've played a single like ranked team all season. If they have, yeah, it's, it's somebody that's, you know, ranked after they played them, perhaps. But, you know, they're playing UAB, UTEP, Western Kentucky, North Texas, Detroit, Detroit Mercy, whatever that is. I mean, 33 wins is a bit inflated. So how how do we view this team? Uh, their best win is that Memphis game. So they just had their best win. So, and I don't, I mean, you know. Take, take that for what it is. They did beat Florida, but it was at the very early. beginning of the season. Um, and they did, and it was at, uh, that Florida. was in, yeah. Yeah, it was in, in the, Gainesville. Is it the O'Connell Center anymore? Whatever it's called yeah. now. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Um, that's what we're going to call it. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. They I lost mean, you to beat a, a 16 seed by, what, seven, eight points? That doesn't seem, yeah. I, mean, I mean, they played well, obviously, against Purdue, but you would so, think. They play a similar style of basketball to Missouri. So right off the top, mm. that sounds concerning. You lost twice yeah, to Missouri. Not a, not a great matchup. Yeah, it's not. But what has to happen is that they just have to make shots, which Missouri did. But the way that Missouri did it is because they actually had a matchup advantage. Kobe Brown, there was no one to stop Kobe Brown on Tennessee's basketball team. There just wasn't. He stuck at the Tennessee, especially in that SEC tournament game. It There just was no one who could stop him. I don't think 
Florida Atlantic has a guy like that. If they do, I haven't seen it yet. They have some pretty good dudes uh, on on the team. Uh, the the point guard, I, man, I, w- I was looking at their roster earlier. It's Javon something, and uh, it's, I, I can't remember the the guy that did the interview, and he <laughs> and he, he said said the s word in the interview <laughs> on CBS uh, or not CBS. It was on True TV. Um, did you see that clip? No, I missed that. So he. It was pretty funny. Was, I should look up his name. The the point guard who had a really great game um, against Dickinson. Um, after the game, he was like, yeah, I've been working on this bleep for all this time. And, he, and then he looks up and he goes, oh, oh, sorry. And uh, then the <laughs> the sideline reporter goes, oh, it's okay. We're on true TV. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty nice little moment. But um, I, I don't, from what I've seen, and I, I watched, because they played Memphis, I watched almost all of that game. And uh, obviously, because they were Tennessee's next game, potentially, I watched all of the Fairleigh Dickinson game, too. They don't have that dude that Missouri has, that takeover player. They have a set of dudes who can make shots and make plays and create offense, but they don't have that dominant guy that really scares me because you have to make sure you stop them. You can kind of go, if if we really guard the perimeter well, this could be a blowout to me. Now, can they actually do that? And specifically, can they do that and then turn around and score? Because Ed in the comments here, he says, Tennessee can't score on anyone. I'm not disputing that. Now, they did against Duke, and they did really effectively against Duke, especially after they switched to that zone. Um, it, it seemed clever at first, but then after Tennessee got it figured out, it just, it was an advantage for Tennessee after Duke mm-hmm. switched to the zone and, and Olivier was just going off. I mean, it worked right into their hands the way Tennessee was playing offense. So is, is this game horrifying to me? No, Tennessee should win. Is it a losable game for Tennessee? Very much so. Yes. You have to come correct. You have to come with urgency. You have to come with fire. You have to come with everything you saw in that first half against Duke, that it was just crazy the amount of energy that specifically Santiago Vescovi was playing with. He was everywhere, all the time, on every play, and it was carrying the team. He was lighting the fire there. And can you come and do that again? Because against this Florida Atlantic team, I mean, the backcourt play is going to be massive. You you have to be able to stop their guards. And and Tennessee more than has the ability to do that, but it's it's easy to say it. It's not as easy to go out there and do it. Yeah, it's an interesting note about Vesterby. He uh, he really did play with a lot of energy. Uh, I don't know. Did you see the clip of him with our friend Josh Mancuso of, of the? Uh, I did. I did. So player. great. Just a side so note there. Great. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Josh was on the Big Orange podcast. Uh, I don't know a couple of months ago. Maybe it's it's there on YouTube. But had a great clip there with Vesterby. But. I was wondering how big of a factor do you think Olivier needs to be in this game? Because obviously huge against Duke. One of their other big wins this season against Texas was his other, you know, 27 point performance. How key is that? Does Tennessee have to count on that to get past FAU? Does he need to, you know, just catch fire and continue this to the end of the end of the tournament for Tennessee to have a legit final four chance? Or can they do it without him playing at that high level? No, they can't. He he has to he has to play at a high level because that's that's a complete mismatch against this Florida Atlantic team. 
their their game is not down low. Their game is they hit shots against you. So yeah, I mean him stepping up would be a complete game changer. Now, can they win without him doing that? Yeah, Tennessee's done a lot this season because he's incredibly inconsistent. He drops 20-whatever points against Texas and then completely disappears in the next game. I would almost expect him to disappear because it's what he... I don't want to be mean. That game was unbelievable, and I will forever be grateful for the fact that he had that game against Duke and gave us that joy, and it was so fun to watch. Also, his pattern has been that he has that great game and then disappears. That's mm-hmm. what he's done his entire career at Tennessee. So why why would he change now? Um, so I'm expecting that. But I think Tennessee can win this game without that happening. Now, it was, it was John L. Davis uh, and uh, Elijah... What what were the names right here? Let me see. John L. Davis was the guy that, that said the curse word. Uh, Elijah Martin is the other guy. He was the guy that did the, uh, the, the spinning dunk that he missed at the end of that game that the Fairleigh Dickinson coach got really mad about. I mean, um, I would I wouldn't have even got mad about that. I would have just laughed if he would have made it, perhaps, because that's not, you know, the classy thing to do there. I mean, you learn from a very young age to to dribble out the clock. But the fact that he missed it, like that's gonna be a highlight on its own and he's gonna look foolish on its own. So yeah, have at it. You know, live with yeah. that. It was it was pretty funny. A little bit of karma there that it clanged off the rim. Yeah. Um but the the scenario is there for Tennessee to lose this game. The scenario is also there for Tennessee to win this game by 20. So which team is going to show up? Because so far, like Tennessee, that that 20-point win team showed up for, what, 30 minutes of the 40-minute basketball game against Louisiana. Uh, and then they almost blew it at the end. Mm. <laughs> or, or the, I don't think they almost blew it. They didn't really... almost blow it, but it did get a little concerning when they yeah. weren't really scoring there late. It's it, like, it was, uh, is this really going to happen? Yeah, closer than it should have been. It, I but, don't, it was never really in doubt. But At the same time, it was closer than it probably should have been, but Tennessee's in the Sweet 16. They survived their you know, 13-4 matchup. You have some ones and twos, and, and they did not survive those matchups. Yeah. So... I would understand people being like, oh, hey, how do you only beat them by three? But when you just, you got to take all the context there and, and consider it, you just survive in advance. That's all that matters. And, and th- especially in this tournament, the way it's already played out. It absolutely is. Like to me, with this game, you hold, if you can, you hold this team under 60 points and go from there. Find the shots that you have to find to score enough to do that. Because I, I think that's absolutely doable. Now, they average 79 points a game. But, of course, that's we've kind of alluded to it. Could pro- really probably be skewed by the fact that they play no-name teams for the entire season. Their 30 wins have been from that. Um, So, play your defense. Stay focused. Stay fundamental. Don't turn the ball over because that, I mean, that killed you in that Louisiana game too. So many turnovers. It was really foolish. Um, Santiago has to stay out of foul trouble. Just play a clean game. And and I think Tennessee, you have enough mismatches at enough positions where you can win this basketball game. Get, get good performances out of the guys that you need them from and and go from there. You know what? It, what would be a really timely thing to have happen? is a big game from Josiah Jordan-James. Please and thank you. And or Julian Phillips, one of them. Now, Julian Phillips had some really timely 
mm-hmm. awesome baskets in that Duke game. So so did Jos- Josiah. He's especially that three right out of uh, the beginning of the second half. Yes. Man, set the tone. And it, I mean, it was all downhill from there for Tennessee. Well, and, and I mean that in a good way. The ball rolled downhill to a win. Yeah, I was about to, I was like, uh, <laughs> no, I, it, was, it turned out okay. <laughs> but uh, he he started things off right, and but you know, a twenty point game from Josiah, a ten point game from Phillips, and then you know the exact thing that you've been getting from Vescovi most games: really great defense and fifteen points. And this is an easy win for Tennessee, I think. If you can get something like that, or or maybe. You know, choose choose your player out of the rest of the guys. Key, maybe he can have a big game, or or uh, Jonas Adu. Take your pick, but you just have to have some set of dudes come to play, put up numbers, and this is this is a game Tennessee should win. Move on to the Elite Eight and go avenge that game against uh, Michigan State because it feels like Michigan State probably is going to beat Kansas State, although can't do Kansas State, and God bless them. They beat Kentucky and uh, Noel, man. That that point guard they have. Oh, of course Tennessee would would kill for somebody like that at the moment. Obviously Zakai was that guy, um, but he yeah he was electric, and I loved just close that game out against Kentucky, and it was so <laughs> crushing <laughs> for Kentucky. Uh, so um, on the whole, to f- put a stamp on it, you're not going to get another shot better than this one to make a final four the first final four in school history just go do it just go do it come out with that fire come out and i what uh yeah chill chill mode says it here in the comments all i care about is the vols do not take their foot off the gas i don't care if it's a blowout or not do not let up uh because you feel you have better talent exactly this is the tournament this is the final game of your career unless you play that way you know, for, for the whole set of these guys, probably. Although I think technically everyone on this roster could actually come back. Um, but probably will be the final game of their career unless they come with that fire and they play with that urgency and they come out and they play that defense that's going to crush these kids. And it's it's there for Tennessee. Just go and do it. Uh, and I, I guess we can just say, do, do you think Tennessee will be playing in, in the Elite Eight, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pick Tennessee to win this game. I, I think they have better talent. I think they're playing pretty well right now. I know the Louisiana game got kind of squirrely there late, but again, you just got to you just got to win in March. It, it's not always pretty. I think this team feels like they have a clean slate after the up and down nature of the last two months of the regular season and, and kind of all the outside noise. A lot of it from Tennessee fans, understandably so. I mean, some of those losses were brutal especially those Vanderbilt and Missouri losses and even the loss in the tournament to Missouri. I feel like they, they feel like they have a clean slate. Everything that they wanted to accomplish is still right there in front of them. You know, go win four more games and, and you're, you know, a a Tennessee legend for the rest of your life, no matter what, even getting to the win two more games. And you probably are, Uh, like you said, it'd be the first time in, in program history going to a final four. I feel like they they have something special right now. And I I'm not going to say they're going to run the table and win, you know, the the final game I, because who knows with this tournament. I'm not foolish enough to think that I can predict how this thing will turn out. I mean, 
they're going to play some tough games if they get past FAU and if they play Michigan State or, or Kansas State, whichever one of those teams, could very well come down to the last possession. And sometimes that's kind of out of your hands as far as what happens there when that shot goes up. Uh, I could see it being that kind of game, and you can't really – you lose on a buzzer beater in the Elite Eight. It is what it is. Uh, cross that bridge when we get there. But for the Sweet 16, yeah, I think Tennessee advances. I do too. Um, for the – betters out there that might be using super book i'll say tennessee does cover even uh but it, it what, might what be like what's what's the spread five and a half did you say five and a half which which to me would be tennessee i think it's gonna be close it's not gonna be easy they're not gonna blow them out but tennessee covers on free throws at the end of the game hits their free throws yeah that's that's what i'll say and oh and yeah let's not forget about that in that duke game some really clutch free throws down the stretch for Tennessee, which has been a problem all year. Yeah, so. kind of ended ended a little bit of that narrative that that kind of yeah. cost them to well Vanderbilt and Missouri for sure. Yeah, just just stay loose, play your game, play with fire. You'll be all right. You're the more talented team. Go win it. Uh, and now we could turn our sights to football. Um, <laughs> it might have been worth talking about baseball first. Uh, but we're going to save that for last because things didn't go so hot over the weekend for baseball. So that's going to be our final topic of the show. Kind of, kind of a, uh, should you panic about the baseball team? A uh, little talk that we're going to have at the end, but spring practice started today. Uh, Josh Heupel spoke and obviously there was an actual spring practice session. And so we're going to talk about that right after I tell you about our great friends at farm bureau health plans farm bureau health plans have been serving tennesseans for over 75 years much has changed in tennessee over the years but some has stayed the same farm bureau health plans has always valued personal relationships especially when it comes to good health and good service plan on farm bureau health plans for health dental and vision for better coverage better rates and better service go to fbhp.com slash atoz or walk into one of their 200 plus locations across the state that is fbhp.com slash atoz farm bureau health plan Support them because they support us. Thank you so much. Now, to spring football. It kicked off today. And uh, this is obviously always an exciting day because usually means the weather's starting to warm up. And do you freaking, hey, excuse me, weather. Could you warm up, please? It was freezing here in Knoxville today. Um, but usually the weather is warming up. Obviously, you get to watch football. All the, the clips start rolling out from practice sessions that happened today where everybody, oh, there's Nico was throwing, Joe was throwing. We got to see uh, uh, Cam Seldon was one of the guys that came up. All of this, these new guys. Uh, it's exciting. I love it. Uh, and then uh, Josh Heupel spoke at press conference today. Uh, how much of this did you see, Zach? Yeah, quite a bit of it. Uh, the weirdest thing was seeing Nico in that number 12 jersey. Uh, that yeah. was kind of different uh, after seeing him in that the number eight for pretty much all of his recruitment and all the you know polynesian bowl and different things that he's participated in that was kind of odd but outside of that kind of arbitrary thought i mean it seemed like plenty of reason to be excited i mean you got josh heupel talking about how how much deeper the team's going to be in year three and how they can build some depth at some positions and have competition that they haven't really had in the past and specifically on the defensive side of the ball, that that will be huge. And then you had newcomers out there, Cam Seldon, interesting note that that he seems to be working at running back, and, and Heupel talked about him getting a shot at that position uh, to begin with, even though he was listed as a wide receiver. 
pretty sure he's still going to be used in some unique, creative ways, splitting him out wide. He's such a unique talent that, you know, perfect offense for for him to to be in because Josh Heupel and, and Joey Hosley and the rest of the staff will definitely find a way to create some mismatches with him. And, and speaking of mismatches, Dante Thornton, another guy, you know, the Oregon transfer wide receiver, worked out of the slot today. Uh, I wouldn't make too much out of that because I think they plan on moving him around a lot because, again, with those mismatches, you can really utilize him where he can play inside, he can play outside. Uh, for today, it seemed like he was taking reps behind Squirrel White, but, again, that to me, that's just where they had him today. He'll probably move yeah. outside, work there some. Who, who knows how that rotation will actually end up you know, working out. We, we kind of have assumed that they will just use three wide receivers like they did last year for most of the season. But, I mean, you don't know. I mean, Hype will adjust and adapts on the fly. So he might find a way to to keep some bodies fresh. Maybe he rotates a little more. Maybe they run some some more four wide sets. Who knows how they approach that. But that's obviously a good problem for them to have. And then I thought the most interesting note of the day, because I think this is – it might. I don't think it's an underrated storyline. I think it's a big storyline. I just think things like the wide receivers and, and Selden and Nico and Joe Milton will get more attention. Offensive line. And uh, it seemed like they said John Campbell was uh, working more at left tackle, which is – he's the Miami transfer, which is what he played at Miami. We kind of assumed that he would fill in with Darnell Wright's role at right tackle. It was like they had shifted Gerald Mincy over to right tackle for today. I mean, it's early, so they're obviously just trying some things out and seeing what works. They left Crawford at left tackle, who him and Mincy split those uh, you know snaps last season. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, if they feel like Gerald Mincy's better on the right side and Campbell's the better left tackle, it would make sense to flip them. Maybe you have a situation like last season where Darnell Wright flips from left tackle to right tackle and ends up having the best year of his career you know, in 2022 where he's playing every snap at right tackle. Probably going to be a top 20 draft pick now. I mean, there's something to watch there. So it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, the offensive line comes together. Yeah, there's so many positions on defense more than offense. But, I mean, on offense, the offensive line is the main spot where I look. There's so many positions where there, there's stuff to figure out. But the the main thing is, that I think for probably the first time in Josh Heupel's time at Tennessee, you actually really have dudes to choose from. <laughs> uh, depth was such a ridiculous issue in that first year. Got a little bit better last year. Well, a little bit better. They won 11 games. I think it worked out fine. But it's considerably more even now. Um, and so figuring that out with this added amount of depth is honestly just so exciting. Because it almost feels like this is the first spring ball where Tennessee really has a full football team. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that's just an interesting proposition because Hypel has had to work through this paper thin, you know, we, we literally don't have a dude to play that position. So we got to move this guy over from safety to go play cornerback. And we're, you know, they're having to adapt all of these things. Again, it was mostly on defense. But it, it feels like they they legit have the warm bodies now. And so what do all of those guys look like? Uh, and the offensive line, I mean, that's incredibly intriguing because you're replacing the, in my opinion, the best offensive line in the uh, offensive lineman in the SEC last season and Darnell Wright, who's going to be a draft pick, uh, first round draft pick probably. Uh, and that, those are big shoes to fill. And so it's it's interesting to hear 
that they're kind of just sort of trying everything out. It's like, oh, this guy, uh, we, we thought he was going to be here. Well, actually, he's playing over here. We're not sure exactly where they're going to go. That stuff, you know, sure, we always give the caveat at the beginning of all the spring practices, fall practices, just sort of be like, don't put too much stock in it because you always get excited about something. And then when the season actually comes, nothing really happens with it. With but as this goes, I mean, I think they got to be trying to figure that out. I, I think that's that's one of the most important things on this entire football team. And I'm sure that they are there is major urgency to get that offensive line situation figured out. And and so uh, that's that is interesting. I, I'm I'm it'll be kind of fascinating to see exactly where they go there. The defensive line, the cornerbacks. I mean, just choose your position on defense. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be kind of interesting to see where they go. But um, one day is not enough to figure any of that out, but it, those are some, uh, some good notes. Yeah. And Ed asked here, is Joe Milton going to start Josh Heupel? I mean, we all know Joe Milton is going to be the starter to start the season unless he gets injured or something like that. Heupel pretty much without committing to Milton in a way did today by talking about that. He expects him to play at an elite level, high level, he wants competition there, which you should at every position before you kind of like deem Joe Milton as the official starter. He did seem a little, I wouldn't say concerned, but he made a reference to how thin the depth chart is at quarterback when he was asked about how quickly Nico would be pushed in spring practice. And he's like, he's, you know, he's going to be pushed extremely quickly is exactly what he said, because as he po- po- pointed out, just look at where we're at at the quarterback position. That they don't have another scholarship guy beyond Nico. You have some walk-ons that would have to step into that role if something happens to your top two quarterbacks. So that obviously, if Milton goes down, you're hoping that Nico is ready to go uh, pretty quickly. And he's a mature kid. Obviously, there's going to be some learning adjustments, some some growing pains there, just like for any highly touted quarterback. Nico goes down, and you're in uh, you know a world of hurt where suddenly you're just hoping to get to six and six and and get to bowl eligibility. Obviously, that would be the nightmare scenario. Let's not speak that into existence. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Hypo brought that up in that press conference today. He he said there is major urgency to get or what was it? I actually wrote it down. Great urgency was his exact quote um, concerning Nico because. That, that quarterback room, while it is excellent, it is incredibly thin. I mean, they just don't have dudes beyond the top two guys, and what are you going to do when you have to turn to a third option? Uh, and and so at, at a minimum, you got to get Nico figured out, uh, at least for him to be serviceable in an SEC football game. Uh, and obviously, by doing that, you're going to set him up for success in the future, hopefully. Uh but it's that's a that's a uh, I don't want to say it's concerning. It's not necessarily concerning as long as those dudes stay healthy. And the chances are that they will. And you know, everybody say their prayers about the health for those guys. But um, I, I I just think that as far as that goes, everybody's going to want to see Nico. Oh, is he going to is he going to start? Is he going to do all this stuff? That's just not gonna. I don't think. My personal assessment of the situation, I think it's it's going to be Milton until they have a real good reason for it not to be. I will put yeah, it. I don't way, think. I, I think. Yeah, I don't think Heupel is. You know, some coaches in the past at Tennessee, uh, Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt specifically at times didn't really seem like they wanted to play uh, true freshmen quite as early. I don't think any coach wants to have to rely on a true freshman, but I think Josh Heupel, 
you know, he's going to put the best guy out there, uh, no matter what position that is. I just, I don't think there's any way that can be Nico as talented as he is, as mature as he is, as good of a leader and teammate as he's already proven to be. There's just so much to learn. This offense is, yeah, it's been described as simple and, and it is to some extent, but it's still unique in the way that they run it. And you got to be making really fast decisions. And Hendon Hooker was so much better in year two of the system than he was in year one because the experience factor. This is going to be Joe Milton's third year in this system, which is almost hard to believe that that he will have spent three years at Tennessee after transferring from Michigan. But there's just no way that Nico can have the the knowledge that Joe has already that has he's built over these past few seasons. And to me, more than talent, that's the difference. And, it, and it's not like Joe Milton's not immensely talented. We know that he's extremely talented, and and he showed it in that Clemson game and every chance he got last season. So. It's not like you're dealing with a situation where at Clemson when Kelly Bryant was the starter and just he just wasn't really getting it done and they had to move to Trevor Lawrence. It wasn't that Trevor Lawrence left them no choice, uh, that he was just playing. I mean, obviously he played really well, but that was more of where the starter wasn't. It just wasn't working out and they had to make the change. Something like that would have to happen for Nico to leapfrog Milton. On, I don't think there just – if Milton's playing well, Nico plays well, Nico jumps him somehow. I, I don't see that happening, mostly because of the experience. Yeah, I just don't. I, you see a guy go out and beat a team that won a national title, what, three years ago or whatever it was last time Clemson did, for maybe four at this point, whatever it was, and he went out there and, and disposed of them. That's going to earn you a ton there if that's the level that you're playing at, because to expect a freshman to come in in a unique offense and play like that is on, it's honestly just unrealistic. I would love for Nico to be in his final form already (laughs) where he, where I think he's going to end up. Yeah, that would be amazing, but it's just, uh, you know, father time doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, you just, he's going to have to get it figured out over time. So this conversation would be a lot different if Milton would have struggled against Clemson. I, yeah, I can't imagine if if that would have happened and if Taven Jackson would have stayed, that would have been a real you know uh, story this spring. Who starts? Who's the backup? How's the depth chart shake out? Uh, while Heupel doesn't like you know the lack of depth that he has at quarterback, I imagine he's at least he doesn't have to worry about the decision being that difficult or that scrutinized. Nobody's going to fault him for going with Joe Milton uh, over Nico to start the season, giving him a, a decently long leash to see how he does. Based on the way he played against Clemson, like I said, that that makes his decision a lot easier, and, and there's not really much there to criticize. Absolutely, it is what it is. They, again, they'll they'll play until they have a a true reason not to, in my opinion. Uh, but otherwise, as far as spring practice goes, uh, it's one day. We haven't yeah. seen much, um, and you know that you don't. I don't want to say they haven't even really started the real work yet realistically for like media members and things you don't even see the real work ever <laughs> like, like that just isn't something that Tennessee is going to go and give out to media members because of the way I mean that's college football across the board now just teams they don't let media members see that stuff so uh, the public doesn't get to see it either but uh, you know we'll, we'll have to get past one day to really have a hard take on, on much of anything but there were there's some good news and notes there uh, but otherwise, Zach, uh, before we finish off with this baseball conversation, anything else with 
football. No, I mean, I feel like that was pretty much it. We're as we before we came on to start this recording, we were kind of wondering who Shane Beamer wants to fight in the SEC. I don't know if people have seen that. He was on he was on busting with the boys, and they asked him which SEC coach he thinks he could beat in a fight, and he was a little diplomatic in his response, saying that you know I'm in pretty good shape. I think I'd stand a good chance against most of them, but you know there'd be some tough battles. Then he suggested that there's one or two coaches that he would have at the top of the list that he wants to fight. And one of them, at least one of them, is on South Carolina's schedule in 2023. So I know a lot of people assume that was Josh Heupel. I, I really don't think that's the case. I, I, I can't remember Heupel saying really anything towards Shane Beamer. And he Heupel doesn't usually say too much about other coaches. I haven't really heard anything negative from him directed at other coaches. I my guess is that it's Mark Stoops who kind of made fun of some of Shane Beamer's dancing and some of those videos that were put out that went viral. That would be my guess. I could definitely see Mark Stoops and him like not getting along that well at some of these meetings, at, like SEC lead meetings and stuff. But it's a question that's, that's kind of floating around out there. Who does who does Shane Beamer want to fight? And who do you think he would beat in a fight? So I was looking just now. Shane Beamer, according to the internet, is five foot eight or nine so he's no offense to anybody that's this height he's not gonna have he's, height he's a little short <laughs> that's not gonna have the high ground he's, he's not tall i'll put it that way <laughs> um and he is a little punk um and i would say he pro unless he has some like oh i take taekwondo classes or something i don't know his personal life or what he I, does I there see him being that way I, yeah, he's a weirdo, so maybe. But unless there's something like that, I do feel like against like a psycho like Kirby, dude, Kirby would probably, I feel like he could F somebody up. Like he just because he loses it. Yeah. Yeah. I, he I just, feel he's, he, he's red and just goes. There's, there's a 100% chance he's like strangled out a coach, right? <laughs> One of his assistant coaches that's screwed oh, up. Like, he seems like a complete psycho. So probably Beamer. Beamer was one of his assistants. So maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, but I, you know, Hypel obviously a lot bigger. Hypel's a tall dude. He's a big dude. Um, I just don't know if Hypel's in fighting shape because I don't think it doesn't seem like at least just looking at his physique and stuff. He doesn't put a ton of effort behind being in like really great shape and like being making sure he's. But he is like tall and big. So, uh, you know, yeah, he's I, a. I, he's a in person, he's deceptively a bigger, like a much bigger yeah. guy than you would expect. He, let me see his height if, if it just says it here. I don't think he's like, I think he's like 6'2, 6'3, maybe. He is 6'2. Yep. But just but in that, general, I was struck by, I don't know what I was expecting, but he was in person than I expected. No, you froze there. I, I missed no, the end of that. Now, I said Josh Heupel was bigger in person than I expected that, you know, even at, at 6'2". But I would give Beamer the edge over Drinkwitz, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would give almost anybody an advantage over Drinkwitz, I think. <laughs> Although I, I could see him being like a secret Taekwondo guy. He's a weirdo. Kind of like Beamer. They're both yeah. sort of in that They're, like they're very similar. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, who who knows? I guess maybe we should have that. We should have uh, the coaches fight each other and see who wins. Um, that would be fun. Um, Back in the day, Derek Mason probably would have won. 
Oh, or, yeah, or Ed Ogeron. Yeah, Mason was stacked. Orgeron was a psycho. Ogeron was in bar fights. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, who knows? But uh, as far as football goes, until uh, we see a little bit more news come out, one day is just not that much to draw a whole lot from. But Heupel's, Heupel's press conference it had uh, had at least some things of note in it, and uh, we will talk about more uh, as as spring ball goes along. Now we got to talk about who should I say was or still is the most beloved coach on campus, mm. but things aren't going so hot for him right now. Tony Vitello and the baseball team, they are yet to beat a team with a pulse. Let's just call it how it is. They got swept and not only swept, but got their butt kicked by Missouri this weekend. And we're going to talk about whether uh, it, it might be time to hit the old panic button there on the baseball team. But first I got to tell you about Redland snap, Tennessee whiskey. Few things go better with a Tennessee sports victory than whiskey. And specifically, Radlin snap, select straight, wait, I left out a word. Radlin snap, Tennessee, select straight whiskey. Here's the bottle of it right here. Log Still Distillery has released a new Tennessee whiskey product line called Radlin snap, Tennessee whiskey, named after a long forgotten game of chance. Radlin snap is a whiskey for those who make their own luck. There's a four-year version, and that's this one. Uh, there's also an eight-year version. I've had both. I have both. Uh, well, I had both. I had the eight-year before, and it is gone now. Uh, and uh, they're both awesome. Great for your favorite cocktails and just drinking them neat. You can find it in stores across the state of Tennessee. Radlin Snap is also available in Kentucky, Indiana, and Mississippi for our non-Tennessee-based ball fans. So walk or so run, don't walk, and go get some Rattlin' Snap whiskey for your next Tennessee sports victory. Maybe Tennessee makes that final four. Rattlin' Snap Tennessee whiskey. It's right here for you. I know this is what I will be drinking if Tennessee makes a final four. Um, ah, that, that will be what a day that will be whenever that does finally happen. Do you think your celebration would be more intense or less intense than the Alabama win? Because I know you're like a, you're a basketball Ooh. guy at heart. It might be, especially if it ends up being a revenge game against Michigan State. It might be more. And I mean, with, with that Alabama game, it was sprinting around the house, lighting a cigar, singing in the front yard, yelling at neighbors in, in a good way. You know, we were all yelling, go balls at each other out the window. <laughs> it's not like you're just screaming at neighbors. You're just screaming at my neighbors. Just, hey, you, Tennessee yeah. beat all do. Um, I, I would say, I mean, I came on the stream on here shirtless. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, but yes, you are right. I'm a basketball guy at heart. That is definitely my first love, uh, even more than football. And I mean, I just, I've never seen it. In my life, I've seen Tennessee have an 11 win season multiple times in my life. I've seen them win a national championship and seen those things. I mean, with the basketball team, it's just been such a long time coming. Oh, I, I hope so. And I hope uh, I'll get to drink this uh, old rattling snap right here when they when they do here this weekend. OK, so the baseball team. They go to Missouri. And just get their butt kicked in every conceivable way. They were terrible fielding. They were terrible pitching. They were terrible hitting. They couldn't do anything. I believe they scored six total runs 
Missouri, I think it, the first game, nine to one. Next game was like six to four. The next game was like six to one. Like it was just, it wasn't close. It wasn't close at all. And Tennessee has yet to beat, I think, a legit power five conference opponent. They played, they played and very, very nearly beat Boston College, but blew it right at the end with some really poor base running. Mm-hmm. They lost Arizona. They lost a Grand Canyon University. They haven't lost any of those snoozers. And the pitchers have looked excellent on all of those games. But, I mean, what should we be thinking, Zach? Is this is it time to hit the old panic button? I think it's time to be concerned. Like, okay, what's going on? You, you dropped the series to Missouri, and I don't – it's disappointing, obviously, but – we said it a hundred times on this podcast. That's kind of just baseball, you know. That those weekends happen, but college baseball—it's such a—it's a—it's a bit more of a compact season. You don't—it's not like Major League Baseball where you get 162 games. So the losses do mean a little more than they do at the MLB level. Not not quite as severe as a basketball loss. Definitely not as severe as a football loss. It's just out of character, and it's like, okay, you're making these mistakes. What's going on? Is this going to get better? was last year and, and, and the previous year a fluke, you know, those, those thoughts start running through your head. Is it, did they just have a special group of kids that, and those, those, most of those kids are gone, you know, Jordan Beck and, and Drew Gilbert and Trey Lipscomb and a lot of those guys have moved on to, you know, to being drafted and, and playing professional baseball on the flip side. It is a long season. They peaked obviously way too early last year and the season did not end how anybody wanted it to end. Tony Vitello at this point has earned some equity. I believe he's earned the right. To, I mean, he had to flip the majority of his roster. So that's, that's a big thing to deal with building that chemistry, figuring out your lineup, what works, what doesn't work. I mean, they can still straighten. I mean, they're still ranked 12th. I mean, they're getting some respect from, from people that rank college baseball teams, D one baseball rankings. People believe in them still. But you got to be a power five team. You got to win some of these games eventually. Got Texas A&M coming up. Uh, and so, obviously, great opportunity. Every week in the SEC, it's going to be a great opportunity to win big games because it's Texas A&M, it's LSU, it's Vandy. It's, you know, take your pick out of who you're going to play there. Uh, but they've just gotten their teeth kicked in, period. That's about the long and the short of it. I, I do still hang out in your camp, and Nug says it here in the comments. He says there's 200 games in a baseball season. It's a little bit less than that, but there's no need to worry. Um, I don't know if there's no need to worry at all. But I, I would say... I mean, you've played somebody. 21 games and you haven't beat a single Power 5 team yet. Exactly. You haven't played many. Yeah. Granted, you've, I think in total, so far you played what? Five. Five? Okay. Yeah. So it was not that many. And three of those were all against one team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, on the whole, maybe Missouri ends up being a really good team this season. Who, who knows? Uh, that is a possibility even still. It is still early. So to me, yeah, it's not a panic button, but it is, hello, somebody. Let's wake up here. And may, maybe specifically with the pitchers, because that's that's what concerned me the most, by far. The the batting has been eh, all season so far. They've they've had some games where they've exploded and, and looked pretty good at the plate. And for the most part, it's been pretty mediocre. But the pitching... You know, it's supposed to be the best pitching staff in America. And they just got rocked. I, I don't know how else to put it. All three of them did. Yeah, All, the well, Do- Dolander getting rocked is 
That's I mean, bad. that's bad for him. That's bad yeah. for him. It's, uh, it's for bad for his draft, draft stock. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. Player. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess Beam was probably the least of those three. But I think there's – I tweeted this out uh, during one of those games this weekend. It might be time to have a conversation about just shuffling those guys around. Maybe those are Friday, uh, Sundays, you know, just shaking it up a little bit because it even the, you know, they moved, uh, Maui Ahuna to, to the leadoff batter. And that seemed to, to shake the batting order up a little bit. And, and they had some nice success. Now that all ground to a halt against Missouri. Um, the success that they were having after they made that switch, just, it sort of disappeared. Um, but you know, maybe there's a conversation to be had there about just switching them up to kind of take a little pressure of with Dolander, you know, being like, you have to be our prime time Friday guy. You're the dude sec player of the year, yada, 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 all that stuff. Take a little bit of that off of him. And, and maybe this is a little bit of a reset button to sort of say, okay, you're not, you're not last year's team and you're not going to be. So where do we go from here? Um, and, you know, and Nugs asks here, what is the deal with Maui Ahuna? Your guess is as good as mine, frankly. Um, I mean, he's been good fielding the ball, but the, and the dudes around him haven't been. <laughs> um, but yeah, from, from the plate, I think he's been a little bit of a head case. Moving up to leadoff was good for a few games, and then now it's taken a step back. I'm not sure. I, baseball is so much between the years, man. I you know, yeah, you got to get mean, that ironed out. The ability never goes away, uh, especially at that age, to play the game. He is who he is, but it can be a huge mental thing. And I think there's a lot of pressure to to be at Tennessee and to to pick up where this team, you know, not where they left off exactly last season, but you know, to to carry on the tradition that they that they set last year and the year before. Those are big shoes to fill, and I think you do feel some of that pressure. I think Dolander feels a little bit of the pressure being the Friday guy being, you know, supposedly the best pitcher in the SEC, maybe in the nation. It's hard to live up to because you've got that going through your head that you have to live up to this and you have to go out there and execute your pitches. And, you know, early in the year, it's we're we're still in early or mid-March, you know, going into late March. The weather has been cool and that's tough on pitchers as well. Like that's not the typical environment that a pitcher is going to pitch in, especially at the next level. So maybe that affects some of his pitches and grips and the way he's trying to spin the ball. Yeah, who knows with with that? I don't get overly concerned about that because I think he is who he is, and the talent's there. I'm like you; I think a lot of it's mental, and I think that extends to the whole team to some extent. I think they're still learning each other. Uh, it's one of the perils of bringing in transfer guys like Ahuna and Merritt. You know, you're bringing in guys to a team that was kind of established and and had that built in chemistry. Uh, the, the guys that were left behind from last year and the year before that's tough to kind of assimilate yourself into. And maybe that's part of the issue too. Uh, maybe again, the thing with baseball is that a team can be really good one season at the, at the professional level, win a world series and they lose one or two key guys, those blue guys, those locker room guys that keep the vibes light and happy all the time, or just keep guys focused, whatever the, whatever the personality of that particular team is, there's no right way to do it you can lose a couple of those guys and it can completely throw everything off. I mean, that's not uncommon in baseball at all. And, and maybe there's a little of that going on as well. Maybe. Hopefully they can get it uh, figured out because obviously every single week from here on out on the weekends is going to be brutal if they don't. <laughs> I know. I mean, look at what's next weekend. Yeah. You're going to go straight from that 
to a team that in terms of preseason hype and before this week, I mean, Texas A&M has, was supposed to be way better than Missouri. Missouri was supposed to be sort of bottom end of the SEC East. And, and obviously we know from Tennessee that can end up being not true. And the team is way better than you thought. But uh, I mean, Texas A&M is supposed to be better than Missouri and you just got your butt kicked by Missouri. So like I said, this, this just needs to be a, everybody wake up, shake off the dust, get your head right. And let's see where they go. It's, yeah, it is a it long could, season. They got time. It, it could spiral because you got Texas A&M, then you get a midweek game against UNC Asheville, which you should you know easily win. Then you go to Baton Rouge and play LSU. Uh, then you Ugh. then you play Florida at home. You had a little break against Eastern Kentucky. Then you go to Arkansas. I mean, and then you host Ooh. Vanderbilt at the end of April. I mean, there is no let up in this schedule over the next month. So you have to figure it out now or this can really go south. And the thing about baseball is once it, once you're just treading water and you start going under, it's really hard to to turn that around. It, it the morale yeah. gets beaten up. It's where the grind helps. We use the grind as a reason to say, "Hey, don't get too concerned about these early season losses because it's a long season." Also, you get to the midpoint of the season, you have a losing record. That grind becomes something that you're not looking forward to anymore, and it can it just goes gets worse and worse from there. So, well, hopefully, they get it around. together. Yeah, hope that it, an amazing chance to do that against Texas a this weekend. You're back in the friendly confines of Lindsey Nelson. Just go and win yourself some uh, some baseball games. You know, just sweep them. It's not that big of a deal. Just go and do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Got to take care of Western Carolina first, too. Hey, that's true. That's true. Tuesday night. Just kind of glazing over that. Um, so we'll see where they go and talk about it as the season goes. Obviously. It would be kind of a shame if they end up falling off because Tony Vitello has saved us the last couple of years from having to have just the longest dreary parts of the off season. He's given us stuff to talk about. So please, <laughs> please, you know, get it figured out. Um, oh, no, Noah's coming in right here at the end. He says, what's up, fellas? How about those balls? Absolutely. How about those balls? Um go back and watch the rest of the show. We talked about everything uh, and then had to end on this kind of lame note. Oh, well, I'll, I'll end with a positive note, though. So speaking of baseball and or softball diamonds, uh, the softball team is buzzing. I believe 24 and one top five in America just not only swept LSU, this was the exact opposite of the baseball team. Not only just swept LSU, and I believe it was at LSU, but I blanked them in two of the games and then beat them by like seven runs in the final game, even though they gave up a couple of runs in that last one. Josh Heupel gave him a nice little shout out today, too. The, say that again? Josh Heupel gave softball team a little shout oh, out today at the start of the press conference. Yeah, I mean, it, they as far as they go, their, their season is just i mean honestly now they've gotten into playing real teams and they are smashing real teams too now because i i think lsu i want to say top 15 top 10 maybe and tennessee just disposed of them uh so impressive stuff going on there and then yeah nugs mentioned lady vols they won by 45 in their opening game of the ncaa tournament uh and tonight they will be playing toledo a big upset from Toledo, 12 beat a five in Tennessee. So the women's team actually gets the benefit from an upset too. 
just like the men's team. Um, and yeah, just go out there, beat Toledo. Cause I, it's all there for this Tennessee team to make a final four. The team that's the number one team in their, their region, Tennessee has already played them Virginia tech. They did lose to Virginia tech, but it was very close. And, uh, I think they could beat them if they played them another time. Now that I, it seems like, you know, you beat LSU, you've beaten some better teams. Maybe they could actually win that one, make a final four. We'll see. Can the men make a final four? Can the women make a final four? Can the baseball team get it figured out? We'll talk about <laughs> all about it on next week's show. Uh, I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. This has been the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody for watching. Nugs, Ben, Noah. This is a second Ben. Ed. Uh, who else? A lot of people. Danny. <laughs> Have to kill me first. It's whatever. You choose your own <laughs> screen name there. Uh, Teresa. Uh, Big Ten Jeff. Jordan, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody for watching. Uh, A to at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT at A to Z Sports. Blah, blah, blah. Like the YouTube. Hit the like button, subscribe button, notification bell. Share the show. Do all of the stuff that you gotta do and we will talk to you. Mm, we'll probably have a midweek show so a little later this week. See you guys later.